A very good morning to you on this, the 12th of June, whether you're uh, at home and watching or whether you've joined us here uh, today. Uh, a very warm welcome to you indeed. Um, our preacher this morning is our own pastor in training, Mark, and as you may have noticed, we've also got a, a guest pianist uh, doing a, a dis- demonstrating a, a change in role. So thank you, Duncan, for, for stepping in on that. Um, I'm going to ask Dave and Avril Shannon if they would like to come forward and bring to us the reading this morning, which is from Ecclesiastes 3. Ecclesiastes 3, a time for everything. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. That is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and what, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity a time to judge every deed. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place, all come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward, and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Well, good morning. It's, um, it's a real pleasure and a privilege for me to be able to, to stand up here this morning and to, to open God's Word with you, where we discover who we are and who God is. 
and we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 this morning, continuing on our series. And in this chapter, what we really see is that we are so limited by time, and God is not. That's really the takeaway from chapter 3. We're going to get into it, uh, but that, that really is the takeaway from this chapter. We are limited by time, and God is not. Every time I stand up here to preach, one of the things that I am conscious of is this red ticking digital clock at the back, and I cannot control it. It spins on, and no matter what I do, I can't get it to go backwards. And so time speeds ahead. Now, your experience of that same time might be very different. It might drag on, but equally, you are not in control of it. And that's our experience of time, isn't it? We're subject to it. We, we experience it, and we do not control it. This, this poem at the start of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it talks all about time and events. Uh, and it's a, a poem that is often quoted at, at humanist and, and atheist weddings and funerals, and it's, it's usually quoted just that poem on its own out of context, and it's, it's read often in a, an upbeat, optimistic kind of tone. But I don't think that's the tone that the, the teacher of Ecclesiastes is going for. I really think what he is trying to emphasize here is the, the, the almost random, frustrating nature of time and the events of time that we are subject to. So let's look at the poem in verses 1 to 8. Uh, it opens with life and death, a time to be born and a time to die in verse 2, it says. These are the two greatest events that happen to every single one of us. There is a time we are born and a time we'll die. Uh, and these are the two bookends of our life here under the sun. They're fixed points, events that happen to us. And we don't control them in any real sense at all. And in between these two bookends of time, we see this poem talks about myriads of events that happen to us. We see these opposing pairs of, of things that happen through this poem. We see there is a time to plant and pluck up, a time to kill and heal, a time to mourn and dance, a time to tear, a time to sow, for silence and speaking. And as we look through this poem, we see all of life's experiences represented. All of the time and events that happen to us are here. And as you look at this poem, if you look for some logic in the order of events, if you look for um, some reason and something that's predictable, I don't see it. And, and I wonder if you do, but I think that reflects life, doesn't it? The order of events and time that happen to us, they can often just be random. They seem to be bewildering sometimes. We are subject to them, and we cannot control them any more than we can control our time of birth and death. And so we see in this poem, we are people who are limited by time. And that is something that we, we experience in our day-to-day, -day, isn't it? You know, when we, when we go to clean the house in a, in a house full of toddlers, we go from room to room, picking things up and putting them in order, putting them in their place. And by the time we get back to the first room, it's out of order again. Things that we try to put in order become undone. And, and, you know, when we think about um, gardening, I don't know how many of you are keen gardeners. I know there's certainly a few. 
You know, you, you prepare the soil, you do everything that's necessary, you plant the seeds, you water them, you care for them. Weeds grow up along with your plants. Weather occurs that you can't control, that affects the growth of your plants. Pests invade. Even with the best of planning, things happen to your garden. Plants die, and very frequently in my garden. And, and it's not just in the, the domestic things of life that we see time and events out with our control. Um, Harold Macmillan, who was Prime Minister in the UK in the, the 50s and 60s, when he was asked what was the hardest thing about being a Prime Minister uh, by some young journalists, he said, events, dear boy, events. It's events that, that get in the way of all of our perfectly made plans, all of the things that we hope to achieve and do. You know, not even the, the most resourced of government bodies can mitigate against events. And we've seen that pretty clearly recently, haven't we? So, this, this poem, this first half of chapter three of Ecclesiastes, it just underlines for us that we are people who are limited by time and the events of time. And so, when we get down to verse nine, the, the teacher has this question. What gain is there for the worker in all his toil? In this context, in, in this context of, of so many things being out with our control, we are subject to time. What gain is there? What benefit is there to all of your activity under the sun if, if your plans and work can be so easily derailed by, by chance events of time? Is there any point in work at all? Well, we see clearly, actually, even in this book, in the very next verse, that it's God who's ordained our work. God has given us things to be busy with. Um, even in this time-constrained place that we live, God has given us things to do. And even if we cannot, at first glance, see the purpose for it, because God has given, it, given us this work, and he has indeed given us these restraints, there must be a purpose for it. Uh, and in verse 11... We hear the teacher tell us that everything is beautiful in its time. What does he mean by that, everything is beautiful? Because surely not everything in and of itself is beautiful. Surely not abuse and atrocities or death. These things in and of themselves are not beautiful. But in the plan of God, everything in its appropriate time is in God's beautiful plan. Take the example of death, which is an intruder into this good world. Death is a result of sin and the fallenness of, of man's, man's rebelling against God. We see in Genesis that, that man sinned and, and death entered in. But even the death that is a, is a consequence of man's sin is actually gracious. At, at first, that sounds strange. But when we read in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve had fallen and they had rebelled against God, they were excluded from the garden. They were told they were not to eat from the tree of life. They were not allowed. They were not able to, so that they would not live forever in this fallen state. The fact that they would one day die 
would mean that there would be a route back for them to eternity and this perfect place with God. And it is the death of Christ that enables any of us to get back to God, back to a perfect eternal relationship with God. Even the most ugly, brutal death on a cross is beautiful in its time. God makes these things which are ugly beautiful, and he has a purpose for them. But as we, as we read in Ecclesiastes 11, these limits of time that we are placed in, we have something within us that tells us there is something more deep inside us. It tells us that eternity is written on our hearts. We know that we are made for more than this time-limited place, this broken world that we are in. And yet, it says we cannot grasp it. We cannot grasp after this eternity that is within our hearts. And in in verse 11, we see that we are not like God. It It is again highlighted for us. It says that we are placed in time, limited by time, with eternity in our hearts, but cannot grasp after it. We cannot grasp after what God has done. We are limited and he is not. So then, how do we respond to this limited nature of who we are and where God has placed us? Well, Ecclesiastes says it's, it's not hopeless. It is not all doom and gloom. In fact, there is a way to respond to the fact that we are people who are limited by time. And it is to embrace that and to accept who we are and where God has placed us as a gift from God. Verses 12 and 13 says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to men. Too often the world tells us, you know, you feel limited. You feel like there's things you cannot do, but that's, that's really just an illusion. That's just a lack of self-esteem and self-confidence. Look inside yourself. You're you're not limited. You can do whatever you want to do. But that's a lie. That isn't the reality. We are people who are limited by time. And Ecclesiastes says the way to enjoy life now is by embracing those limits, recognizing them, and realizing that God has a good purpose even in the limits in which he has placed us. That's how we respond to this, this at first, maybe shocking fact that we are not God. We are limited. And there are things that are so out with our control. And as we go on in this book, in this chapter, we learn more of how God is the one who is unlimited. You know, we are subject to time. He is the master of time. He is the master of time. And in verses 14 through to 22, we see that unfolded. In verse 14 to 15, we see all that God does, it lasts forever. We see how how fleeting the works that we do are. They're here for a moment and then gone, but all that God does, it lasts forever. Everything that has been has already been. Everything that's going to come has already been. And, And it says everything Every event in history, past and history, future, is as now to God. Eternity is a concept that is just so hard for us to get our heads around because we, 
We live on this timeline, don't we? Past, present, and future. But God is above it all. God sits above time as the one who created time. He spoke it into being. He is the eternal one. And yet, as we will see, he stepped into time. God, as the eternal one, has a purpose for the limits that he has placed on mankind. And we see in verse 14 the heart of that purpose. The heart of the purpose of the limits in which we find ourselves is that we would know that we are limited and he is not, and that we should fear him. That we should look to him and know him in all his awesome glory, in his perfect holiness, in his eternal nature and his divine power. The effect that us being limited should have is for us to fear God, to know that we are utterly different to him. And that's the conclusion of this book as well in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, the end of this matter that this teacher is getting to, that we should fear God. God gives us limits on purpose. And and as we look through the rest of the Bible, we see that spelled out for us. Um, In Acts chapter 14, which we were in fairly recently, we see that that God, he, he appoints seasons and he gives gifts to men so that the people would have a witness of who God is and that they would turn from vain idols. That's Acts 14, 15 to 17. And again, if you flick over into Acts 17, Paul speaking to to non-Christians who are very religious, he tells them in verse 26, 27, that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way to him and find him although he is not far from us. God sets time boundaries and limits so that we would seek him and find him. And the fact that we are in this world that is limited, that we are people who are limited, it's frustrating for us. We, we, we struggle against it. We, we struggle against the dissatisfaction of it. But it's not an accident. Romans 8 says that that God himself has subjected this world to frustration or futility in hope that we would be set free. It says, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God has constrained us so that we would be set free. That's the reality of what we see, that God is ordering time and place and events and activities. He is the one who is in control of it all. And actually, God says he has done it so that we would fear him, we would seek him, we would be set free when we realize that we are creatures. He is our creator. And and as we continue through Ecclesiastes 3 into verses 16 and 17, we see another aspect of the nature of how this world is limited and how things are out of order. 
but how God is the one who is unlimited and will set things right. We see the teacher look around him and he sees injustice and wickedness where there ought to be righteousness and justice. The world is broken. It is not right. This is an aspect of the, the limited nature of the world in which we live. It's, it's limited by sin, but it's not going to be this way forever. And the teacher looks forward and he says, I can see that there is a time that God has set when all wickedness will be judged. Everything will be put right that is now broken. And, and this is the heart of the gospel. This is what God does. From our vantage point in time, we have an advantage over the preacher in Ecclesiastes because we can see the cross. We live on this side of the cross of Christ and the resurrection. It is there that God judged the wickedness, the sinfulness of mankind. Everything that we do that contributes to the brokenness of this world, on the cross, Christ bore in his own body my sin, my shame, my wrongdoing. There he judged it. In, in Romans 5, 6, it says, at just the right time, while we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We can see that even clearer than the teacher of Ecclesiastes, that God has set a time for sin to be judged. And the cross is where sin was judged. Our sin was absorbed in the body of Christ at the cross, if we trust in him. And that is crucial. We must choose to trust in Christ and allow him to take our sin, to take our judgment. Because if not, the Bible is equally clear that there is yet a time coming, another time of judgment for those who have not placed their trust in Jesus, who have not allowed Christ to take their judgment on the cross. God will right every wrong. God will judge every sin and every wickedness. And this is at the heart of what the teacher tells us in verse 16 and 17. And so we have a response. In light of the fact that we are people who are limited by time, in light of the fact that God is the one who is unlimited, that he is the one who orders events of history and time so that we might fear him, reach out after him and be saved through his judgment of our sin at the cross. Well, the, the, the teacher in Ecclesiastes in verses 18 to 20 tells us that now God is at work so that we would know who we are and know who he is. It says... God is testing you, testing you in, in the events of time now so that you might see that you are a creature, that you might see that you are not God. Too often we live our lives as though we are. Too often we live our lives as though we are masters of our own destiny. There's no obstacle too big that we can't by our own ingenuity overcome. But Verses 18 to 20 is stark. It, it shows who we are and it uses the fact that we die to show us very clearly that we are not God. There is nothing more obvious than death that shows us 
we are not God. We are not in control. And, and it draws a comparison between us and animals. And it shows us in these verses that our outcome, our, our, our nature is more like that of animals than it is of God. You know, we think we are God, but just look how close you are, in fact, to the life course of an animal. You're born, you die, and your body decomposes. This is grim, but it's a reality that we all know. And nothing more clearly shows us that we are not God. We are creatures. Now, this is not to say that we do not have value and great worth in God's eyes. The, The The point of these verses in 18 to 22 is not to show us that we are worthless, but to show us how, in contrast to God, we appear. God is the one who is infinitely worthy, infinitely worthy. And in comparison, our worth is not that of God's. Yes, we are incredibly valuable and worthy and full of worth in God's eyes. He made us in his image. But compared to God, we are creatures. We're, we are more like animals than we are like gods. And, and so we need to look at ourselves in the light of what the teacher of Ecclesiastes tells us. We are people who are limited by time. And God has placed those limits on us that we would reach after him, that we would know who he is, that we would know that he is the God who is eternal, that he is the God who has placed us where we are in our frustrating lives, that we might yearn after something more, that we would yearn after the eternity, in fact, that is in our hearts. We cannot grasp it on our own. We need him to give us that eternity. And it is only in Christ that we get that. It is only in Christ who was crucified for us that we we get the eternal life that each of us knows that we have been made for. You know, C.S. Lewis famously thinking about this life and how it is so dissatisfying in so many ways. He said, you know, if I find within myself a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, I must conclude that I was made for another world. And and that comes out of this passage, I think, as well. The limits that we have placed on us show us the constraints of satisfying ourselves with what we have in this world. We are to enjoy all of the good gifts that God has given us, but we are not God We are limited. He is unlimited. And so this morning, the way to enjoy life, the way to enjoy life in this limited time and space is to know that you are made by God. You are his creature. He has placed you with limits so that you would reach out after he who is unlimited. Take hold of him and the life that he offers in Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Our God and Father, we we come this morning and we, we confess that we too often think that we are gods 
We think that we are God of our own lives, that we, we can control the events of today and tomorrow, that we have mastery over them. But Lord, help us as we look at these verses in Ecclesiastes to see the reality of the limits that you have placed upon us. Help us to, to feel the limitedness that we experience day to day and to know that actually it's not by our own ingenuity and hard work that we overcome these frustrations. Lord, help us to, to instead know that you are God, to know that you are the one who is creator, that you are the one who is eternal, that you are the one who is in control, that you are the master of all of time. And Lord, help us, help us not to seek to, to be God, Help us to bow to you, God. Help us to recognize your glory and to submit to who you are. And Lord, help us to know that there is, there is a way to enjoy this life here and now. Enjoying it knowing that we are made by you. Knowing that you have given us good gifts to enjoy. But Lord, help us to to take hold of that greatest gift that you have given us. Salvation in Jesus Christ. Help us to take hold of the gift that is ours by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And help us as we do that to, to rest in the now and the limited nature of it and to look forward with certain hope to an eternity where we enjoy our time forever with you in a perfect place, in a perfect relationship where death no longer intrudes. Lord, would you, would you impress these things into our hearts and our minds this week as we go about our day-to-day -day activities? Help us to remember that you are God. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Let us share the words of the grace together, and, and let, us, uh, let us pray together and uh, say that to one another as we go. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Thank you.